Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mom of the Hard Kid. Today, we're going to be talking about the unseen children that we have in our lives, the glass children, the ones who, when you spend all of your attention over here on this crazy little one, that get overlooked and seen through. So for those of you who don't know, glass children is kind of a term, I don't know if it's like any kind of official term, but I know that it was kind of used a lot in 2010. There was a TED speaker who, her name is Alicia Arena, and she gave a talk, a TED talk in 2010 on TEDx, and it kind of, she referred to glass children. So I don't know if she started it or if she referred to it, but I do know that when people talk about it, they refer to this talk a lot. So feel free to look that up if you're interested. But she had a brother who was high needs and eventually passed away. And she talks about how her parents, you know, of course, had to give that child a ton of attention and the effect that that had on her. At SSMHealth.com, there is an article that I think sums up glass children pretty well called Understanding Glass Child Syndrome. If you look up in the DSM-5, I could not find it. (laughs) It was not in there. I don't know if anybody really refers to this again in any sort of official capacity. But in the article, they do talk with a Valerie Ackerson. And she is a licensed clinical social worker. She works with the SSM Health Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital in St. Louis. And she kind of reminds parents that parents are processing a ton of stuff in this kind of situation. And she reminds parents that the children are also processing a ton of stuff. And when I think of it in my own situation, and I think of what it must look like to my children, when I'm losing my mind, and my child's been so terrible, and they've had their stuff destroyed, I have a child who shares a room with my um, little lady. (laughs) who who brings with her many things. And she has had so many of her things destroyed. And I remember going up to her and saying, Hey, what can I do? Should I just replace everything? I bought her a locker so she could lock things up. You know, I tried so hard to be able to be there for her in the way that she needed. But I never really sat down and thought what it must feel like for her to constantly have all of her things destroyed. Going back to the article, there is a breakdown in this particular article of five different things that healthy siblings experience as glass children. And one of the things that they bring up is fear. And in this article, it says that it's fear that, you know, they wonder if they cause it or if this kind of thing is going to happen to me. I would imagine more so that the fear is not wanting to be part of the problem. So when it says, you know, can and will this happen to me? It's probably more of a, I don't want that situation to come over here. So I'm going to behave in a way that that situation doesn't come over here. Resentment is the second thing that they talked about, where the children resent the fact that their parents have to give so much attention to the difficult child or the child who has difficulties because 
any moment that that child is getting attention, it means the other children aren't getting attention. Now in life, that is part of life. Life just happens that way. But when it continues on and you're never ever getting your fair share, it can bring up a lot of resentment, especially when those children are older and they're aware of their feelings. It can, it can really build up. The third thing that is talked about is pressured perfectionism and high standards. And I think this goes back to what I consider part of the fear aspect of everything. But it talks about not only are there a ton of demands that are placed on the other children, because either the parent needs the support of the other children, go get this, go get that, watch her here, do this, I need this. Or they have to do it themselves. And so then they have the demand of having to make their own breakfast or do their own thing or solve their own issues. But also that they would have the feeling of not being able to make a mistake. And it says here in the article, quote, they must do things perfect to not rock the boat, unquote. And I think when your child And this, of course, article is coming from so many different places, not just bad behavior, but it's coming from a place where sometimes there's illness or sometimes there's disability. But when you're coming from a place where your parents are frazzled and you offer any kind of addition to that frazzledness, then it becomes problematic, right? You don't, you see that your parent is frazzled and you don't want to add to that. So you get really nervous and try to behave absolutely perfect so that you don't, you're not part of the problem. But I like to think of it as like a camel, you know how they say the straw that broke the camel's back, where there's a certain load that you as a parent can hold. And even sometimes a heavy load But there really are things where it's like, nope, that was too much. And the world just shifts, right? Like, (laughs) it's you implode, you either sob or you yell or you do something where you're like, I couldn't take more than that. And, and I've noticed over time that if I have had my proverbial broken camel back kind of a thing, if, if my back has broken proverbially, over and over and over and over, my other kids are trying so hard to not be that last straw. My one kid is trying so hard to be that last straw, but but the other ones don't want to be that. They, they've seen me have my proverbial back break and they they don't want to do that to me, which is, of course, very, very kind of them, but it is a really high stress place to put your kids or where they put themselves too. Another thing that they bring up in this article is silenced and feeling forgotten. I think this has a lot to do with the fact that they don't want to be that straw. They don't want to bring up their issues. They kind of settle into the background and then they just sort of wait it out. And when I say this, I, I know this happens at my house. But my kids also fight and they also tattletell on each other and they also talk to me. But I don't think that it is the same kind of in-depth relationship and discussion that it would have been if I wasn't always having my proverbial back broken. 
For example, I have one child whom I know is having a terrible time at school. But whenever I talk to this child about it, they refuse to go in depth and they'll just say, I'm fine. It's okay. I'm fine. And I'll try and get more information out of them, but they won't give me any more. And I feel like that's probably because of this situation where they're like, I don't want to be the one that adds weight to mom's back. I don't want it to be my fault. I don't want to add to what is already a stressful situation. And so this is, I can't even tell you guys how many sighs I have edited out of this because when I finish a sentence, it just makes me like, it just makes me sigh because this is one of the biggest things that I regret about this whole decision, this whole adoption, this whole difficult situation my little lady has put me through stuff I didn't even know was possible to feel or to endure through. And yet the hardest and most biggest guilt that I have is that my other kids have in some ways been neglected. And I'd like to pretend that that wasn't true. There's a lot of my life that I'd like to pretend I didn't do and wasn't true. But the fact is it it did. And I know that there's a part of me that's like, hey, you know what? This is just life. Life offers you curveballs. You just deal with it. And and I know it, but this is a really hard one for me. The last thing that they talk about, though, is the fiercely independent. And I would challenge this exact one. I would say that I think your child will either become fiercely independent or quite dependent. So when I see it, I see people, my children, and I see some that are like, oh, well, I can do that. That's fine. But I think when the resentment sits in, I think there are some kids who are like, well, then I need mom for this and I need mom for that. And I think, no, you don't. You're way old. You can do this. And they're like, nope, I need this. (laughs) And so I think that it can split in two different ways there. There is another article written about glass child syndrome. It was written in February of 2023 by a Sarah Duriviage Jacobs called what is glass child syndrome. And it goes into some really interesting background information. So it says that about 8% of young people in the global north grow up in a family with a family member who is chronically ill. And about 17% of children in the United States have at least one developmental disability. And while there are no clear statistics or information about whether or not those children who have a disability have a sibling, it's probably safe to say most of them do have siblings. But both articles actually refer to Elisa Arena, who gave that TED Talk in 2010. It's referenced in both articles, but she talks about how children who have disabilities or, and I'm going to say take up a lot of their parents' time because it's not just physical disabilities that do that. It's also, it can be just a high needs child of any kind. But she says that siblings of high needs children tend to transform themselves so that they can fit into the pieces of the family that they need to be, which might sound really nice on paper, but isn't a really nice way to be. 
But the article references a few studies that were done. They said that they looked at 2012 meta-analytics of 52 studies examining the psychological functioning in the siblings of people who had chronic illnesses or disabilities, and it was published in Pediatrics. So the first one that they talk about talks about how a lot of these kids say that it, they did have impacts, but when they studied it, they found out that the impact depended on the severity of the issue with the child. So if your child or sibling required a lot of attention, then that ended up with more of a severe outcome for the siblings, which of course makes sense. But the biggest thing that came out of this study is that a lot of the children just internalize their own issues. They wouldn't go ask for help. They wouldn't try and seek out a partnership to solve their problems. They just try and deal with it themselves. And that can be a really unhealthy way to deal with your problems. In another study, it said that siblings of children who are high needs had a higher likelihood of depression. It said in another study that had a participation of 245 siblings that they reported that they had challenges in interpersonal relationships, in overall functioning, and functioning at school, and in use of their leisure time. But this article has a really good section called, What are the signs if the sibling of a child with chronic illness or disability is having trouble coping? And it talks about anxiety, depression, withdrawal, anger, losing interest in their activities or their friends, not doing well in school, if your child is punishing themselves too hard to do well, if your child is even rebellious, sometimes that's a sign or acting out to get attention, then those can be signs that your child isn't feeling seen by you. So there, we figured out that sometimes we look through our other children. I think we all kind of knew that that happened, especially those who you're like, Uh, My kid demands so much attention. Like we kind of know. So what do we do about it? The Cardinal Health article gives a few suggestions. They talk about how you should get your children with supportive relationships where people have similar circumstances. I don't know how we can always do that. Um, The second one is family involvement and care and support. If you have family close by, that's great. But what if you don't? So then they have open discussions with healthcare providers, age appropriate educational materials about the illness, open family discussion, safe space to find personal interests, and going to a supportive camp. Now, those are great ideas. They just don't seem really practical and they don't make a lot of sense in the day to day. So here's what I recommend. There have been multiple articles, multiple things written where it says that you need to give your children at least 10 to 15 minutes of one-on-one attention a day. Now, I know some of you are like, 10 minutes? I have like 10 kids. I can't get this all in. How am I going to do this? I can't even get my shoes tied in the morning. What am I going to do? And I think start with five. Start with five minutes a day. Make it real. Do the eye contact. If they're young enough, hold on to them. If they're old enough, get really into deep issues if you need to. 
have this attention. Another thing that I think is really beneficial is you have this one-on-one time, but it can be really beneficial to have group time. So there have been times where, say, my daughter is off taking a nap or I put her in another room with a different movie and then the older kids get to watch an older kid movie with me. There are other times when we're all there and I'm just holding the little one because she's crazy and we all just watch a show together. There are other times where we just go out as a group. My kids hate this one, so I'm not sure, not the group one, but the next one I'm going to say. So I'm not sure if this is like good advice, but I think it still helps them. But I would take them on drives because I needed to have that little lady buckled up because she was all over the place. And so I'd buckle her in the car and put her in the very, very, very back so that she couldn't open the doors or unroll any windows. And We'd go for a drive because when we were all in the car, we could talk to each other. We would also, I recommend this for anyone who has a family nerd enough, nerdy enough to do entertaining things at dinner time. So we would have dinner, we'd sit at the table and then I'd pull out my phone and find riddles or find jokes or find trivia. And we were able to have that time at dinner to really talk to each other because my one that needed a lot of attention was okay with the fact that we were doing something entertaining, even though she had no clue what was going on. She didn't know how to answer these things. She didn't know how to do that. And that's another thing I actually really recommend is sitting down and eating your meals as a family. That used to be such a go-to. I really recommend it not for your crazy child, because they're not going to figure out some behavior issues in any situation that they're in. But if you need to, let them perform their naughty behavior, let them go sit somewhere else if they need to. And you can have this time with your other kids. Ideally, though, you'd all be together. I think that that is the best thing for healing when it comes to especially reactive attachment disorder. If you can build those bonds with everybody, I think that that's great. My last recommendation is one that I do not implement, but we are starting to this next year is we are going to do date nights where we have one parent take one child and they either go bowling or they go to dinner or they just go for ice cream or they just go for a walk whatever the child is kind of interested in, whatever your budget really works for, kind of plan around that. But we're going to be giving them for Christmas, don't tell them, they don't listen to this podcast, so I think we're safe for the next little bit. But for Christmas, they're going to get these little certificates. And it says, because we have four children, we're going to give them each two nights out, just mom and dad. So it's going to be one month, one child gets to go to dinner or bowling or whatever with one parent. So the other parent can stay home and watch the other kids. And then they'll each get a night out so that they can have a little bit more one-on-one time. And you can choose to do as many or as few. I don't mind doing like a couple of smaller things. I don't want to do like a ton of big expensive things. It's just not a really good time for us right now to do big expensive things thanks to economic changes. So 
it's if we can do cheaper things to have a night out, like a nice walk, then that's great too. But to be able to give more one-on-one time and kind of make it like a thing to be like, hey, I'm excited. I get to go do this this thing with you. And and this is great. And this is fun. And, and to be able to give them that sense of being seen, giving them an opportunity to talk without there being so many siblings involved and being able to have that time where they get to develop their relationship with their parents, instead of having to pretend that their needs aren't as important as somebody else's are in the family. that their siblings are experiencing something too. Now, because life is heavy enough, I'm not going to end on that somber tone. I'm going to tell you that even though it seems overwhelming, and even though it seems like you are juggling more oranges than you can possibly imagine, and that your floor is covered with oranges you can't even juggle, that you have the capacity and the capability to do more than you think that you can do. And even though it seems hard, and even though it seems exhausting, and even though you're not doing everything that you wish that you could do, you are stronger than you were before. You have more dexterity and juggling than you did before. And even though you're worn out, and you're tired, and you're exhausted, and you feel bad, and you feel guilty, as long as you are doing your best, your children are going to see some of that. And have an open conversation with them. Go up to them, talk to them, say, know that I care about you, know that this is what I wish we could do. Let's plan something. Let's make something happen. Plan it with them. Make it something that is your guys's thing. Even though they, they know you're tired, they know you're exhausted. And they know you're juggling a lot. And they'll also know that you love them. They're going to see it. They're going to see the effort that you put forth. It's going to matter. And it might not show on them that it matters instantaneously. But the little tiny pieces that you put in there are going to add up and they're going to matter. I wish you all the best. And thank you so much for joining me.